Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you once again for joining us today on today's program. And uh, thank you so much for your very positive comments and uh, emails, letters, phone calls, and uh, hitting us on Facebook on my public profile page. Uh, your response has been uh, so encouraging to me as I'm uh, kind of breaking new ground, I believe, in some people, probably in a lot of people's mindsets. But I believe that we are living in such an important time uh, to be addressing some of these issues. At first, I kind of hesitated uh, to even delve into the book of Revelation. Like I said, it is probably eschatology or the study of last things is probably one of the most divisive subjects on the planet. Uh, but uh, we really don't seek just to be, uh, you know, in conflict with anybody else. But I believe there are people who are looking for alternative views uh, than uh, much of what the church world has offered. And once again, I'm not attacking personalities. I just have to tell you uh, that my history and studying every view of the book of Revelation and not even really growing up in the view that I'm sharing with you now, but have become convinced and settled in my spirit that is, this is truth as I know it today. So you've got the, the prerogative to eat the grapes and, and spit out the seeds. Uh, uh, once again, if you've missed any of these programs, you can go back to, uh, like, like I said, our YouTube page. If you'll simply go to my website in the, of course the address is on the screen, uh, you can click the link there and it will take you to our YouTube channel where everything we have aired to date is available there for you to be able to watch. You can also sign up for our podcast so that you can get the audio uh, versions of this uh, right to your uh, iTunes account. It would be a blessing to you. There's also an RSS feed from our website that will get you. Also, TBN has an app where you can download their app and watch live or you can watch archive programs. So you can go back and review these because I'm sure I'm going to say some things that you're probably going to want to watch again. But thank you so much once again for tuning in and for joining us. We are right now dealing with uh, the fifth and sixth chapters of the book of Revelation. And we're about to open, uh, in the next uh, season, we're about to open the four horses of the apocalypse. And I, I, I want to tell you that uh, I believe it's very, very positive. If you'll stay with me, I believe some of the fear will be taken out of the book of Revelation. And I want to bring to you, I believe, fairly conclusive evidence that a lot of the catastrophes, I'm sorry, a lot of the catastrophes of the book of Revelation are not in our future, but they are in our past. And even if I'm missing the point on that, let me just begin by sharing, uh, especially today uh, with you from uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, this is chapter 5, and we, we, we kind of ended there last week, but I want to springboard from it. Verse 9, this is after the opening of the little book. The slain lamb takes the book and he opens the seals. I'm sure that in prior segments I have shared with you how that this is not just a furry creature in a barnyard that grabs a book and peels it back. But what that's simply saying to me is that the revelation of this slain lamb uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ in his redemptive work, the revelation of what this, the death of this lamb exacted for us is what opens 
the book and looses the seals. I think it is very interesting that uh, many of the catastrophes and the judgments that you will see poured out in the book of Revelation on uh, apostate Israel was God keeping his end of the covenant bargain where he told them, uh, if you do not do all the words of this law and you uh, do not, uh, and you, you go uh, chasing after other gods, then all of these plagues will come upon you. Talk about the plagues of Egypt. And so you see many of them come to pass and you see the curses of Deuteronomy coming upon them. And the reason uh, that that is taking place is because this, this group uh, at this particular time uh, of, of uh, 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 of the apostate Jewish people that were rejecting their Messiah had uh, so not put the blood of the Lamb, they had not applied the blood of this Lamb who had come to redeem them, uh, but they had so not applied th this to them that uh, th these plagues came upon them. Uh, I think it's interesting also to note at this point that uh, as we get later in the book of Revelation, God will say things like this, these are the last plagues in them is filled up the wrath of God. Uh, in other words, I, I don't believe God will respond to humanity like that in the future because we are on a completely different covenant. Uh, I believe it's so important that we grab the eschatology of grace and, and look at this and begin to understand the reason that, that, uh, uh, that God says, and, and, you know, even in Matthew 24, we're gonna go back and get some of this uh, in the next several weeks. But he says, you know, he says to them uh, in Matthew 24, uh, there will be tribulation such as was not since the world began, nor will ever be. So he makes a promise that this is the end of it. And the only reason God poured out his wrath and his judgments and his vows on apostate Israel is because they refused to receive their Messiah. They refused the blood of this lamb to apply to the doorpost of their houses. And they had so literally uh, rebelled against God that that God was pouring out on them all the covenant promises that he promised them in Deuteronomy if they did not keep all the words of this law. And so uh, these folks were receiving, uh, as it were, God's end of the covenant bargain, the justice that, that, that they could have been redeemed from uh, if they had received the blood of the Lamb. For instance, when the, the death angel turned to walk down Main Street Goshen and he saw uh, blood on the doorpost of the house, that blood on the doorpost of that house did not say to those Hebrews, your uh, house escapes. What it said to the death angel is, the death of the lamb was the death of the firstborn. And so Jesus Christ, who is the true lamb of God, the reason God does not send judgment on the believers, the reason he has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation is because we've applied the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of our houses so that whether I'm wrong about the time slot that I'm going to deal with some of this in, uh, you know, being historically fulfilled or whether it's an ongoing story of redemption, what I'm saying to believers is, is that before he ever pours out any of these plagues, any of these vows or any of these seals, uh, he sings a song of redemption. Let me just start in verse number nine. This is chapter five, just to springboard from where we were at in the last couple of weeks. It says, Revelation five, verse nine, and they sang a new song, saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, 
For thou wast slain, and hast, past tense, redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, has made us unto our God kings and priests, and, and we shall reign not when we get to heaven one day, but we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying, worthy is the land that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and, and, uh, uh, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing, honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne under the lamb forever and ever and the four beasts said amen and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that lives forever and then it opens the sixth chapter by and saying and i saw when the lamb had opened one of the seals and i heard as it were the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying come and see and I saw a, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereupon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. Uh, and there was given unto him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth beast, the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were uh, of uh, them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony uh, which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, O holy and true, uh, till thou dost judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. That's all I'm going to read out of this particular segment right now. Uh, I think it is a powerfully important that when this opens, there are four beasts that will say, Come and see. Now, what I, I want you to understand is that these four beasts, once again, are symbolized uh, and, and we'll just open that in just a moment. But uh, these, these, uh, these four beasts are saying, come and see. I think it is very important that the first beast comes on the scene and he says, come and see. And then I looked and I saw a white horse. The first come and see is written here in the sixth chapter of Revelation. But it is responded to in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, where he says, and I saw. So see, the first part of the book of Revelation says, come and see. And the latter part says, and I saw. Now what it says in the 19th chapter is, and I saw one who sat on a white horse. And he had a, a, a vesture dipped in blood. His name was called the Word of God. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And he conquers the beast in his armies. And he conquers all the nations of the earth as they make war against the Lamb. And he makes war with the sword of his mouth. Can I tell you that I don't think it's an accident that the first beast says, come and see. And he says, I saw a white horse rider come out. And then the first response to that in the end of the book of Revelation is, and I saw a white horse and him that sat was called the Word of God. I submit to you that this first horse rider 
is not the Antichrist, but it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think for uh, powerfully, when you see this in the very first uh, verses of this, that he also had a, uh, this white horse rider had a crown was given unto him, which was the victor's wreath. He was the winner and the champion of champions. And he had a crown upon his head, which he literally also means he had a right to reign. He went forth conquering and to conquer, but he had a bow in his hand. Uh, I believe it was in Bullinger's notes that I saw this in the Companion Bible. But in Bullinger's notes, it says that this bow uh, is, 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 did, did not have a string on it. The string of his bow was un. Un, you know, was not, not connected because this bow is similar to the bow that's in the book of Revelation chapter 4 when it's talking about the covenant. I submit to you that this bow that's in his hand is a rainbow. This is the messenger of the covenant whom you seek, and he is riding into uh, this situation to show you that he is the conquering king who's coming forth conquering and to conquer. He is the white horse rider of the latter part of the book of Revelation who is going to defeat every enemy. So what I want to say to you before I even get into a lot of the eschatology of this and a lot of the history of it, I want to talk about the redemptive side first because I believe there is a historic fulfillment to this. I believe that many of the things that you see, for instance, famines, wars, earthquakes, death, all of these things, death and hell followed, are really the same things that Jesus prophesied would come in Matthew chapter 24. He talked about there will be wars and rumors of wars. He talked about they'll deliver you up to be killed, uh, which c corresponds to the martyrs saying, How long, Lord, till you avenge our blood? Uh, famines and war and dearth and earthquakes were all signs that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24 that he said would happen before the generation that he was preaching that to uh, would be taken off of the scene. Jesus says in verse 34, Matthew 24, this generation standing right here will not taste of death till you see the Son of Man uh, coming in His kingdom. Now, I want to tell you that those things, according to the words of Jesus, had to occur within His time slot. We'll come back and set time text a little bit later. But what I'm after in this particular segment is that what well, it looks like all hell is about to break loose here. Wars, famines, earthquakes, uh, death and hell following him. I mean, these, it's very clear that uh, there, there is a wrath that is being poured out here in this sixth chapter. However, what I want to say to you as a believer is that before he ever talks about any of these coming catastrophes, before he ever talks about any of these judgments, he simply says to them, he says to them, uh, he, he, they are singing a new song, which is the new song of the new covenant. And what they are singing is, Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and you are worthy. So what he's saying here is, the ver before he ever gets down into these catastrophes, is he's saying, uh, whether, uh, you, know, I'm, I'm, whether you, you, you hear me in the right time slots or not, the, 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 the issue here is simply this. No matter what catastrophes come in your life, whether it's historic or whether it's in our future or whatever it is, what he wants you to know as a believer is that this is not in your future. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. So 
what he's singing is the song of redemption before he talks about these coming catastrophes. So what he's saying is, if you see the blood of this lamb and you see this lamb open the seals, what you need to do is give God some glory because that's not what's coming to you. It's what you've been redeemed from. He has not appointed us to wrath, not back historically and not even in our future has God appointed us to wrath. As a matter of fact, Every Jew that heard the prophecy of Jesus when he told them, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you better get out of Dodge. The, the Bible says that most of them fled to a town called Pella where there was very few of the believers that were ever, if there was any at all, that were killed in the siege of Jerusalem. So they heeded his word and they were redeemed from it. Now, let me tell you that there's, there's so many things that I could say, and we've got a couple segments to unpack this. But these, uh, these four living creatures, a lion, a beast, a man and an eagle are symbolized according to uh, 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 Adam Clark's commentary as the four Gospels, first of all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they are also symbolized by the four innermost tribes of the children of Israel. I drew a chart before I came on, uh, just so I could kind of give you a visual picture a little bit of this. But the scripture says that when the camp was at rest, the, uh, the Bible says that when the camp was at rest, God told them to set the tabernacle in the midst of the camp. Now, this is a picture of the tabernacle of Moses. If you would be flying over it, let's say from the air, which I know they wouldn't have a helicopter back then, but the view from the heavens would have the tabernacle of Moses. It was at the center of their universe, so to speak. All of the furniture in this tabernacle of Moses was arranged in the shape of a cross so that every piece of this furniture was at a bleeding point of some place where Jesus bled for us to redeem us. So, but, but then God told them, I want you to camp in a certain arrangement. When the camp is at rest, here's the arrangement. I want you to camp three tribes on the east, three tribes on the west, three tribes on the north, and three tribes on the south. Now, uh, what they did then was they, uh, they arranged even the camp in the shape of a cross. That's powerful to me. Because if we're camped uh, in the shape of a cross, uh, what we're doing is we're showing God's redemptive work. And they, they, not only were they camped in the shape of a cross, but they were camped and they were told when you camp, you face inward towards the tabernacle of Moses. You face inward. And uh, you know what, what that did was it literally uh, left their backs exposed to their enemies. And I said, God, why in the world? Hallelujah. Would you, would you tell your people to camp and be at rest with their back to the enemies? And the Lord said to me, if you've got the cross in focus and you keep your focus on the cross, I got your back. God will be your rear guard. I want to tell somebody listening to me today that's been wearied and scared, even from some of the latest films that are being shown to scare people, is that I want to tell you God's got your back. If you keep your focus on the cross, the main emphasis even of this ministry is to keep us focused on the central theme of the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and, and if we'll keep our focus on that, God's got our back. But I also begin to uh, notice also that if, if this three tribes on this side, if they were uh, facing the tabernacle and these three were facing the tabernacle uh, and these three were facing that way, literally, if these camps were literally facing each other, uh, this guy could see over the back of these guys. So what I'm saying is not only does God got your back, but God had us camped in a way where not only does God got our back, but we ought to have each other's back. 
No matter what camp we're in, no matter what tribe we're in, we're all one holy nation. And what I begin to realize is that, you know, depending on where you're camped at depends on your focus. In other words, if you were at the tribe of Judah, which, by the way, is symbolized by a lion, your emphasis is going to be on the blood, on the altar of sacrifice, and the water that's in the labor and water baptism. And what you're going to preach is you're going to preach uh, blood-bought, water baptism. You need to be saved, and you need to be blood-bought, which is powerful truth. But these guys that are over here, they're seeing the table of showbread, and they're going, no, no, the emphasis is on the Word, because the Word, I mean, you know, the table of showbread speaks of the bread of His face. We need to get in the Word. We need to get in the Word. We need to get in the Word. And that's true, too. But these guys over here, they're seeing the seven golden candlesticks with all of its uh, sets of ornaments. There was nine sets of ornaments on each side of this candlestick. And they're seeing stuff about the oil of anointing that's flowing. They're preaching about the anointing of God flowing. They're preaching about the nine gifts of the Spirit, that we need the gifts of the Spirit, and we need the anointing, and we need the Spirit of God to move. And that's true, too. But what happens is, is that each one of us are a stream. And God is really looking for a river. There, there is a river where of the streams make glad the city of God. Our conference is coming up September the 24th through the 28th, and people are coming from every stream you can imagine to this great conference in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. And what we're doing is we're trying to bring some streams together that create a river, because our problem is we think that the aspect of the gospel that we're seeing is all there is. These guys also over here are emphasizing the, the altar of incense, which is prayer, praise, and worship. So that, that's the camp that's into worship and praise, and, and we're into prayer and intercession. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're on this side, uh, you're, you're like facing the mercy seat. And your, your whole deal is all, uh, we're deeper than these guys. And we, we got more revelation than they've got. And bless God, we're, we're third dimension. We're third day. We're most holy place people. And uh, our emphasis is on the mercy seat and the blood of sprinkling and the, and the uh, golden pot of manna and the throne of God. And we're emphasizing the kingdom and we're emphasizing his mercy and we're emphasizing his grace. What I'm trying to say to you is that it's not either or, it's all of the above. And when these camps are arranged in the shape of a cross, each one of them may have a different focus, but instead of fighting each other, we ought to have each other's back. Instead of dividing and splitting hairs, we ought to say, I'm watching over your back, you watch over my back, God's got our back, and I've got your back, and I believe we'll see a powerful breakthrough in the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say to you, and we're going to set the stage and then come back and teach some more on this in our next segment, but the four faces of this living creature, when he looked uh, in Revelation 4, there was a lion, there was a man, there was a calf, and there was a flying eagle. Now, it is not an accident when the camp was at rest that the four faces of that living creature were the four innermost tribes of the children of Israel when the camp was at rest. Judah had the symbol of the banner that was over his camp was that of a lion. Reuben was the symbol of a man because his name means, Behold, a son comes, or Behold, a son. Ephraim uh, is the symbol of an ox, and his name means doubly fruitful, or the, uh, the, the, the animal of burden, or the beast of sacrifice. Dan was the tribe of the symbol of the eagle, so you can see that all four of these innermost tribes were symbolized uh, with a banner over them that was exactly like it was in the book of Revelation. So that this ought to be a picture to us 
uh, when God told Moses, build this, he said, this is a pattern of the heavens. In other words, this is God's viewpoint from the heavens is I see a camp with their focus on the cross. I see a camp with a focus whose centerpiece is the, is the habitation of God, whose focus is always on uh, what's going on in this tavern. It's the center of their universe. And last but not least, and I don't want to get into too much of this because of my time is running out, but these four symbols, also the lion, the man, the calf, and the eagle, were the four center signs of the 12 signs of the zodiac. Now, before you flip your channel off, let me just tell you that all through the Word of God, there are, there are uh, references to this. In the book of Job, I believe it is chapter 28, uh, God asked Job, he said, can you loose the band of Orion? Can you bind the sweet influence of Pleiades? Canst thou bring forth Arcturus and his sons? Uh, he, he goes on to say, do you understand the ordinances of the heavens? And can you set their dominion in the earth? Those uh, band of Orion, uh, the sweet influence of Pleiades, uh, Arcturus, the word Arcturus means the 12 signs of the zodiac. Now, before you write to me and say, you know, I was born in October, what does that mean? Let me tell you, the zodiac has absolutely nothing to do with you. But long before there was ever holy writ, God wrote his plan in the heavens and in the stars, so that Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare, night unto night they utter speech. There is no place that their voice is not heard. The heavens declare his handiwork. That doesn't mean we walk outside and say, oh, that's great, that's beautiful. No, that means that God wrote something in the heavens long before there was ever holy writ. And the first sign of the zodiac was the sign of Virgo, which is a virgin. And if you look at uh, the sign of Virgo, uh, she has a corn of wheat. Uh, she has a, a corn of wheat in one hand and she has a wave of sheath in the other. And what that simply says is that a virgin is going to conceive and have a son. And if she does, she's going to bring forth a corn of wheat. And if that corn of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it will abide. It will not abide alone, but it'll bring forth much fruit. At the other end of that spectrum is Leo, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And so every one of the 12 signs of the Zodiac is a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, where whether it is Hercules who has a star in his right heel, which means the one whose heel is bruised is the one who will also bruise the head of the serpent. Uh, whether it is Aquarius who stands with his bucket up dumped and, uh, and is saying, uh, in the last days I'm going to pour out of my spirit on all flesh, which would be under the sign of the eagle over here would be, uh, uh, I believe it is Aquarius, no, that would be up here on this one under the sign of Reuben. And on, on uh, this side would be um, Taurus the bull because of the calf. And on this side, Scorpio was the sign of the zodiac that was here. And actually under Abraham's day, the scorpion was not in the form of a scorpion. It was in the shape of an eagle before men got a hold of it and polluted it. Don't think that I'm trying to get spooky. I'm just trying to tell you that what God did was, uh, he, he, if you see the 12 signs of the zodiac, they were arranged even in the heavens in the order of the camp of Israel when they were at rest. And so what God was saying is from my heavenly viewpoint, I've got a people in the earth and they are going to be redeemed by the blood of the lamb from all of this stuff that's about to be poured out. 
I, I, I have said a mouthful. I, I hope I haven't jammed too much in, but we're just about out of time. Take a moment uh, to sow a seed into the ministry. Call that number on the screen and become a part of something huge. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, get behind us, support it. We appreciate it deeply. Tell your friends about us and be sure to tune in every week as we continue to unpack this. God bless you for joining us today. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.